Welcome to this Moving Panels One Shot. Now let's have a nerdy little conversation. And we do anniversaries in the month of June. And well, 2022 marks the 30th anniversary of Image Comics. So for this one shot and the one we'll do in two weeks, so it's going to be a two-parter, I'm going to give you a crash course in the history and legacy of Image Comics. So here we go. So in 1991, I, I know several of you that that that's just was just a couple of years ago, but nope, that was 30 plus years ago. In 1991, several comic creators voiced their concerns with Marvel and DC. Now, it's funny to mention DC because none of these guys actually worked for DC at this time. They would later work for DC, but all of these guys were Marvel guys. And they voiced their concerns regarding their policies when it came to the ownership of characters and the treatment of artists. For those of you that don't know, when an artist, uh, quote unquote, creates a character, it becomes the sole property of Marvel and DC. So the artist has no say in what they decide to do with that character. Uh, the artist's name for the longest time would never be associated. It actually wasn't until... Uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster with the 1978 Superman movie that the creators actually got credit for creating that character. Um, and it's crazy considering comics have existed for decades prior to that. Uh, even more recently, uh, Bill Finger finally was uh, given credit for his uh, involvement in the creation of Batman. But there were seven artists, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Eric Larson, Jim Valentino, and Wilts Persecio, uh, Portasio, Portasio? I'll say Portasio, and I apologize if I mispronounced that. Uh, but the seven of those quit. They quit, and they founded Image Comics. Image Comics was to be for the artists. Image wouldn't own any of the characters. The characters belong to the artist and to the writers. The people that created them, they had the say. Nobody other than the artist and the writer, the creators of that character, were involved with those titles. They worked on everything independently. Um, no one could come back and say, well, hey, uh, we don't want Spawn to do this. Nope. It was all Todd McFarlane. Todd McFarlane decided what Spawn did. Um, now, if you're not familiar with these guys, with any of those seven, and if you're a comic book fan, you recognize those names. But for those of you who listen more for the uh, movie and television aspect of this, and you're not real deep into the comics, um, I'm going to give you some highlights of uh, these guys' career and what they might be famous for. And that now I do want to start off by saying when these seven guys decided to leave Marvel, 39, 39 out of the 50 best selling comics were created by these guys. These guys were either the artist behind it, they were the writer behind it. 39 out of the 50 best selling comics. At that time, I'm not going to say of all time, at that time, were created by these guys. So first off, the guy who's probably most associated with Image Comics, and that's Todd McFarlane. Um, most of you 
uh, might be familiar with him uh, doing the toy line that's out now, all the McFarlane toys. Uh, but when it comes to Image, most of you connect him with Spawn. Uh, now, he started actually back at DC. Uh, he drew the Batman uh, Year 2 storyline. And you'll notice um, the similarity there between like Spawn and Batman, because Batman had the big flowing cape in that storyline. Uh, but he then moved to Marvel, which is um, where he stayed until he left. Uh, and he drew the Incredible Hulk and eventually moved on to Amazing Spider-Man. And those of you who know his Marvel background knows that Amazing Spider-Man was where Todd McFarlane caught people's eyes. He enlarged Spider-Man's eyes on his mask, made them just kind of bigger. Uh, he gave more detail to the webbing. And he, in fact, while he was doing Amazing Spider-Man, Todd McFarlane was the first guy to draw uh, Venom, Eddie Brock, and the Venom character. So Venom was originally conceptualized by Todd McFarlane. However, he didn't become happy um, because he didn't have more say in the direction of the stories. He wanted to be able to say, yeah, well, because he was visualizing the characters. So he wanted to be, yeah, maybe if Spider-Man did this. He wanted to just be able to have a say, and he didn't have a say. He was told, this is what the character is doing. This is what Spider-Man is doing. So he left Amazing Spider-Man. Now, the higher-ups at Marvel did not want to get rid of McFarlane. He was doing great work for them. So they decided to give him a spinoff and his own Spider-Man comic that was just titled Spider-Man. Now, this is Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. So, it, yeah, Spider-Man got darker. Um, he It dealt with storylines that had police corruption. Uh, he even went as far as having... He had a storyline that dealt with uh, rape, uh, of course, murder. And unfortunately for Todd McFarlane, at the time... We're talking about late 80s here. At the time there were some of the stores who just told Marvel, yeah, we're not going to carry this Spider-Man title. Uh, it's not for us. It, uh, we, we don't think it's going to sell. However, uh, well, they were wrong. The first issue of Spider-Man, Spider-Man number one, Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, sold 2.5 million copies. Todd McFarlane knew what he was doing. I mean, he knew what he was doing. Uh, unfortunately, there still came a lot of backlash from the Marvel editors, and that's eventually what led to McFarlane deciding, as I mentioned at the beginning, that he wasn't happy and he was going to walk. And so he departed. Uh, when he then created Spawn for Image, Spawn became the best-selling independent comic ever. He even out, almost outsold, excuse me, almost outsold Spider-Man. Spider-Man sold 2.5 million copies. Spawn number one sold 2 million copies. And that's an independent. He didn't have the backing of Marvel. He didn't have all of their uh, connections and all of the stores that they were in and all of the advertisement that they would have. And he still sold 2 million copies of Spawn. 
How crazy is that? So that's Todd McFarlane. Let's move on. Jim Lee. Jim Lee. I've got a Superman pop sitting up here that is a Jim Lee Superman. Uh, Love Jim Lee. For those of you who don't know, Jim Lee is currently, as of this recording, he is the current publisher and CCO of DC Comics. Yes, a guy who stood up to both Marvel and DC and said, hey, I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to quit. I'm going to create my own company with these other six guys. He now pretty much runs one of those companies. How crazy is that? But he actually never worked for DC until after Image. He started his career, as most of these guys did with Marvel. Jim Lee drew Alpha Flight. He drew uh, Punisher Warzone. But it was in 1989 that he started working with X-Men. He worked on Uncanny X-Men at the time and would actually help uh, Chris Claremont create the famous character of Gambit. Uh, in 1991, he helped bring the new X-Men uh, uh, the new X-Men series in. X-Men number one in 1991. The one that the X-Men, the animated series is based on the one that almost anybody who's around our age, uh, they would recognize these characters, the redesigns of characters like Storm and uh, you had Wolverine now in the group and all these other characters. They launched X-Men number one in 1991, which is the best selling comic of all time. As far as I know, to this day, it is the best selling comic of all time. So you got Todd McFarlane selling 2.5 million copies of Spider-Man number one. Jim Lee comes in. X-Men number one, 8 million copies. 8 million copies. How crazy is that? 8 million copies of a single comic book. X-Men number one. For those of you who don't, I actually own a copy of X-Men number one, and I remember it so well because it has the covers. It had different covers, and I don't think that was a big thing um, until this time, to have variant covers. And each of the covers, I can't remember if there were three or four, but each of the covers, if you laid them side by side, it actually made a single image. You, you had the single image, like one had Magneto on it, then you had one with part of the X-Men on it, another one with another part of the X-Men. Uh, it, it was an amazing cover. And like I said, the, these were the X-Men that we grew up with. These are the X-Men that created the animated series. These are the X-Men that when you think of these characters in their comic form, you're thinking of the characters Jim Lee drew. That, that's it. Jim Lee drew these characters. Now, when all this started going down, Jim Lee actually wasn't in the initial group, but Todd McFarlane considered him a key person to everything that was going to happen. And I mean, how, how can you blame him? Eight million copies, best selling comic book of all time. Jim Lee was going to rattle, uh, rattle the foundation of Marvel and DC. Now, when Jim Lee went to Image, he uh, created the Wildcats for Image. Uh, some of you might be familiar with the Wildcats. There was an animated series, and I'll talk about that one that a little bit later, probably in part two. Uh, but he created the Wildcats, and he created several other characters, but Wildcats being probably uh, his most recognizable. 
Moving on in the list, let's talk about Rob Liefeld. Now, Rob Liefeld started with uh, Megaton Comics in the late 80s. Um, Megaton was just a small little uh, comic. Won't really get into that right now. But at the age of 19, yeah, this is a kid, age of 19, he was given work by Marvel on the Avengers. Can you imagine that 19-year-old kid drawing for the Avengers? However, his work wasn't published. Uh, they would just kind of use his stuff and another artist would draw it. But he eventually became published uh, in an insert that was part of DC's Warlord. So it was Warlord number 131 in September of 1988. There's an insert in there that was done by Rob Liefeld, first time he's published in a comic book. He would later continue working with DC. He became the artist for Hawk and Dove. Uh, he then went to Marvel in 1989, and he got creative control over the New Mutants. The New Mutants were kind of floundering a little bit in interest, and Marvel just said, hey, this kid's got some talent. Let's hand him New Mutants. Let him do what he wants to do. And he he was in charge of New Mutants until the run ended in 1991 and new mutants in terms of titles new mutants was replaced by x-force so they no longer had that as one of their comic series they bring in x-force now <laughs> talked about todd mcfarlane 2.5 million copies of spider-man number one jim lee 8 million copies of x-men number one best-selling comic book of all time well rob liefeld the debut issue of X-Force, 5 million copies. How crazy is that? In fact, it came out before X-Men number one, and it was the best-selling comic until X-Men number one, until Jim Lee and Chris Claremont came in and said, hey, here's X-Men number one. <laughs> I see your 5 million. I raise you another 3 million. We got 8 million. But Rob Liefeld, the kid... He sold 5 million copies of X-Force number one. It's crazy. Now, he still wanted to do his own thing. And so he created a comic that he was, well, he said he was going to create a comic for Malibu, Malibu Comics. And unfortunately, Marvel didn't like that because, again, they didn't really respect uh, the art of their artists. Um, and Rob was just trying to do his thing. And so... That's what led to Rob leaving for Image. At Image, he created the team Youngblood, which was the first comic that Image published. Youngblood number one, which again, getting to those numbers, that sold 1.5 million copies. Let me make this clear. This was the first comic published by Image. That means no one had read anything by Image. Some people didn't even know Image existed. Youngblood, number one, sold 1.5 million comics. Can you imagine doing something for the very first time and 1.5 million people look at it? I mean, imagine creating your very first TikTok video and 1.5 million people watch it. I, I haven't had that many yet. I haven't broken a million on any of my videos. Imagine posting, getting onto Twitter, posting your very first tweet 
and it gets 1.5 million likes. Man, can you imagine that? Here's another thing Rob Liefeld did. He created the image logo. You know, the little eye, just that 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 eye, the iconic eye that goes with the image logo. Yeah, Rob Rob Liefeld created it. I mean, these guys are amazing. And here they are creating their own company in the early 90s. Next up, Mark Silvestri. Now, he worked a few DC Comics in 1981. Uh, He then became the penciler for King Conan. We're talking about Conan the Barbarian. King Conan in 1982. Conan the King in 1984. They just kept changing the titles of the Conan books. And he went on to draw for Web of Spider-Man and X-Factor in 1986, Uncanny X-Men in 1990, and Wolverine in 1991. Of course, he did other things, but I'm just hitting some highlights here. I want to show you how much these guys, if you were a comic book reader in the late 80s, the early 90s, chances are you were looking at the work of these seven men. And talking about the the way they're all connected. It was Jim Lee that actually saw Silvestri as a vital part of their meeting with Marvel. So Todd McFarlane thought Jim Lee was key. Jim Lee thought Silvestri was key. (laughs) Now, when image started, Silvestri set up his own studio that was called top cow productions. And he created for image, the team called cyber force. And so there we we're just going down the line. All of these great guys, amazing artists that are creating these brand new characters. Yes, I won't get into all of this. Yes, some of them are kind of meant to poke poke at Marvel and DC. But again, I'm just giving you a brief highlight here. There there are many uh, documentaries out there, many articles you could read uh, that'll give you more detail. But we're gonna kind of we're we're just gonna move along here. So next up is Eric Larson. Uh, Eric Larson was known for his run with the Amazing Spider-Man in 1990, uh, and he he was actually the guy that replaced Todd McFarlane when Todd McFarlane left and created the Spider-Man. And again, when McFarlane left Spider-Man. Eric Larson's the guy that replaced him there, too. Uh, He actually came in the same way McFarlane came into Amazing Spider-Man and kind of changed the look of Spider-Man forever. Again, bigger eyes, more detailed web. It was Larson that came in on Spider-Man, and he took McFarlane's Venom, and it's actually Larson who gave Venom his uh, serpent-like tongue, that long tongue that we see in so many pictures that you had in the movie when Venom like licks the guy and all that. Uh, now, uh, going back, though, Larson had worked on The Punisher in 1989. He worked on the uh, uh, for DC, The Outsiders, and The Doom Patrol in 1988. Uh, but going all the way back... And this is why I kind of told his story in reverse. You go all the way back to 1983. And Eric Larson was working for Megaton. It's that same company I mentioned that Rob Liefeld worked for. He was working for Megaton. And he introduced original characters. One was called the Dragon. And the other was called Vanguard. Now, 
anyone who knows Image might recognize those names because when Eric Larson came to Image, he brought those characters with him. Again, Megaton didn't hold the rights to these. They, uh, uh, the, the artist still held them. So Eric Larson brought the dragon in, which was renamed the Savage Dragon. And he brought back Vanguard, who still went by the name Vanguard. So here's what's so great about this is that he had, in 1983, he had these characters that were just kind of little pieces of another story, weren't really the focus, weren't really the main factor. But then when Eric Larson got the ability to say, hey, I want to do something with these characters, he was able to because of Image Comics. Marvel would not have allowed him to do that. DC would have not allowed him to do that. He was only able to do that because of Image. All right, moving on. Let's talk about Jim Valentino. Now, I talked about Rob Liefeld being the kid of the group. Well, Jim Valentino, he's the oldest. He's the he's the elder of the group, if you will. Uh, he actually began working in comics way back in the 70s. He created a character called Normal Man, which was published uh, in a Canadian magazine called uh, Cerebus or Cerebus. I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. Uh, and again, that was back in 1983. But by the late 80s, Jim Valentino was working on Guardians of the Galaxy, which he was a fan of prior to going in. So it's always great when an artist loves their character. He became not only the artist, but the writer for a series of the Guardians that began in the 90s, I think 1990 exactly, and it ran for 62 issues. Now, unfortunately, he didn't make it through all 62 issues. Um, he stopped 50 issues in because that's when he left for Image. What was What's great about Jim Valentino and the fact that he was such a established uh, comic book creator and he had been working for so long before he decided to leave for image. He actually contacted Jack Kirby. Yes. That Jack Kirby, the, the Jack Kirby that worked along with Stanley, the Jack Kirby. That is the other dude that created pretty much every Marvel character you could think of. The guy that does not get enough credit for what he does. Jack Kirby. He called Jack Kirby and he wanted to make sure that he was doing something. He he wanted Jack Kirby to know, I'm doing this. And I'm doing this for artists like you. Artists who aren't getting the credit. Artists who Marvel, DC, whoever would not be the powerhouses they are, would not have the money that they have, would not be at the top of the heap if it wasn't for artists like you. And you know what Jack Kirby did? Jack Kirby gave him his full support. Jack Kirby, the guy behind the Avengers, the Fantastic Four. He said, you know what? Do it. Go to Image. And that's what Jim Valentino did. He went to Image along with these other six guys. His first title at Image was Shadowhawk. I got to be honest, not really familiar with Shadowhawk. Um, I'll have to look that one up. But uh, but that was the first one he created. But uh, And then Jim Valentino would later actually become 
the head of image, the guy, guy that kind of held everything together. Um, there, there's a lot of, lot about that. Again, I'm not going to hit it all. Uh, I'm going to kind of do highlights. There, there was some problems that developed with when he took over, but it is what it is. Finally, we got uh, Wilts Pertasio. That's how I'm going to uh, pronounce it there. I put him at the end because he only worked uh, briefly at Image. Unfortunately, he had, a, uh, from what I've gathered in my notes, a family tragedy. And so he never actually became a full partner, but he is one of the founding fathers, if you will. He's one of the, the founding seven. Uh, but to give you a quick, quick background about him, uh, he began working at Marvel as an inker for Alien Legion in 1984. He then moved on to Alpha Flight and Longshot in 85. He then became the penciler for Uncanny X-Men in 86, the Punisher in 88, X-Factor in 91, and he helped co-create the character of Bishop along with John Byrne in 91. So again, just pointing out how big these guys were in comics, how important these guys were. Now, I know most people, when they think of Image Comics, they think of them as the number three comic uh, company. They're number three in the business. Marvel, DC, Image. The thing is, they actually became number two. Number two. Only four months after they started. Number two. They beat out DC in sales four months after they first published. That young blood, number one. Four months later, they're number two. They beat out DC. I'm a big DC guy, but Props to Image. They knocked out one of the, the Goliaths. They knocked out one of the high pedestals. They were able to knock out DC. Unfortunately, however, they were artists. They weren't businessmen. These guys were just creators. They knew how to do comics, but they didn't know how to run a business. And so some bickering started happening among the founders about how to handle things, about the way to do things. Uh, they were also hurt by the issues that the comic industry was going through in the early 90s. You know, the, the attack on any type of entertainment that might cause violence among kids. And then also that's when the collector boom became a big thing. Collecting comics became moneymakers. Now, of course, the problem with that is that that's for older comics. Now, why older comics? Well, because they're harder to find. Because people didn't think that comic books would later be worth money, so they threw them away, which means there were less of those type of comics. Uh, because when, you know... Parent groups thought that comics got too messy. They burned them. You know, like you always hear the stories about burning books and burning CDs and records and tapes and all that. So those were older, rarer comics. Image didn't have those. They just started. The other problem was, was because of all of the hoopla over comic books... Unfortunately, comic book stores were closing. Now, you've heard us mention this in other um, other 
episodes of the podcast. This is around the same time Marvel filed for bankruptcy. And DC, <laughs> DC threw a huge uh, gamble out there. Luckily, it, it semi-worked for them. But they decided, hey, we need something to boost sales. Let's kill Superman. For those of you who don't remember, because we're talking about anniversaries here, the death of Superman storyline started in December of 1992. So it also was at this exact same time, 30 years ago. Uh, now, I will talk about the death of Superman actually next year, next June. Uh, even though it started in 92, the bulk of it is in 93. So it'll be its 30th anniversary next year. So I'll, we'll be talking about the death of Superman next June. Now, Lee and Liefeld, they would later leave Image. And they returned to Marvel. And at this point, Marvel said, look, hey, guys, you proved your point. They were given full control. And the characters they were given control of led to a series that some of you may be familiar with called Heroes Reborn. But they still remained partners at Image. So here's Lee and Liefeld, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, working for Marvel, but they still were partners at Image. Now, Liefeld, however, would eventually quit. Image, not Marvel. Lee would follow suit. In fact, Lee would go a little bit further, and he sold Wildstorm Studios, his studio, independent studio, that he released everything through Image, to DC. So the Wildcats that he created for Image now belong to DC. I I have a I have a little bit of a problem with that because it kind of goes against everything that they stood for when it went to image. I, I love Jim Lee. I respect Jim Lee. Jim Lee is great. I'm not sure exactly why he did what he did uh when it came to Wildcats, when it came to Wildstorm Studios. Um I didn't look into it an awful lot, but I mean feel free to I, I just wanted to get kind of a, a quick history for you there. I, I don't know. But at this time, Image was going through a rough patch. However, it would bounce back. And that's where we're going to get into a little bit in two weeks. I'm going to talk about the legacy of Image Comics and how this little company, this David to two Goliaths, which they took one down for a little bit, changed the industry and became a huge contributor to the comic book pop culture world that we live in today. So that was the birth of Image Comics. Like I said, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the legacy of Image Comics. So be sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss that one. Share with your friends, especially those you know that are fans of Image. Because next week, we're going to discuss more about Image Comics. And, well, two weeks. Because next week, we're going to continue our June anniversaries. And we're going to talk about the Avengers. Can you believe it's been 10 years since the Avengers movie aired 2012 Avengers was released it's now 2022 it's been 10 years since we had the big boom from the MCU with the Avengers yeah you gotta check that one out before today I'm Laramie Wells for moving panels and I'll see you on the other side of the page
Do you love movies of a certain age? Do you miss the days of VHS tapes and VCRs and video rental stores? Is the thought of another 80s movie being remade seem inconceivable? If you want to go back to school, back to the future, or even back to the beach, then the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast is for you. I'm Tim Williams, the creator and host, and on each episode, I'm joined by a guest co-host as we revisit a different 80s flick to discuss our first-time watch memories, iconic scenes, and even learn some behind-the-scenes stories along the way. New episodes drop every other Friday on your favorite podcasting platform. So make like a tree, get out of here, and go listen to an episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories.